Amen. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those healing hands. And we know that only you are the source of true and lasting healing. Healing for our souls, healing for our hearts and our minds and our bodies. Thank you, Lord, for the compassion with which you take our brokenness and make us whole again. Visit us now, Lord. Bring us your word. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. True story took place last summer in Florida. The first 911 call came in at 2 p.m., blistering summer afternoon, well into the hundreds. Thank you in Daytona Beach, and it was from the son of a 79-year-old electrician who was determined to go up in his attic and get some work done that afternoon. The son said, he's trying to do something that isn't even important. I could go up there and do what he's doing, but I'm not going to go up in that heat. Please, you've got to get him down. And the 911 respondent calmed him down and said, sir, this, this isn't a life and death emergency here. We can't make your father come down if he wants to. He stopped her right there. He said, look, somebody better coax him down before something bad happens. The 911 respondent said, sir, you know, as unwise as it may be to be up in your attic during these extreme temperatures, look, it's, it's not the responsibility or duty of any police officer or deputy to convince your father to come down. Now, the only exception here is if there's a pre-existing mental condition that prevented sound decision-making. Does your father have any such mental condition? And the son said, yeah, he's stubborn. <laughs> the second 911 call came about two hours later at 4 p.m., this time from Willie Capps' panicked wife. See, Willie had stopped responding up there in the attic when she called out to him. Concerned neighbors came over. They were calling out to him. No response. Fire department arrived within minutes. And uh, they found that the opening, the access hatch for the attic was too small for a rescue. So they got on top of the roof and they cut a hole in the roof. They went down, the man was unresponsive. They took him out and they lowered him to the ground using an aerial ladder. The unconscious 79-year-old was rushed to Halifax Health Medical Center where Mr. Capps made a full recovery, thankfully. Doctors said if the rescue had been postponed by just a couple of minutes, he would have died up there in his attic. When they spoke to Mr. Capps a couple of weeks later from his home, he said he was pretty upset about the hole in his roof. And he was weighing all of his possible legal options at that point. He said he didn't want to talk anything more about the matter. He redefined stubbornness, didn't he? It's a humorous story, but it isn't the first time 
that a life and death rescue has been made through a hole in the roof. Today, we're going to revisit one such very occasion, possibly the first ever recorded. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Dean spoke about this very miracle not long ago, and I love it so much. We're going to revisit Capernaum today. We're going to read Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 1 through verse 12. I've titled this sermon, Lessons from a Hole in the Roof. Look up at your video screens or follow along in your Bibles with me. Verse 1, here we go. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. See, Jesus did the more difficult thing. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I love this story, and there's so many incredible perspectives to look at. Imagine it from the perspective of these men, desperate to get their paralytic friend to the healer, to Jesus. Imagine the paralytic man, his perspective, down to his last hope, willing to to do anything to find healing, to be made whole again. Imagine it from the perspective of Jesus who saw at once the faithfulness of those friends, the desperation of the paralytic man, the awe of those in the room, and the criticisms of those teachers who could never let go of their doubts. The lessons leap out of the pages at us. Today, we're going to look at some important lessons from the three main parties of this incredible miracle. Four faithful friends one willing paralytic, and two healing hands. So let's begin. First, what can we learn from those four faithful friends? We don't know their names. We don't know where they came from. The Bible doesn't give us any background on these men, but we know them from their actions on that one afternoon. Years ago, there was a newspaper in England giving a reward for anyone who could give the best definition of what a friend is. Thousands responded. The winning entry was this. A friend is one that comes when everyone else goes. That's a friend. 
That's a true friend. A true friend should be treasured above any other possession we own. Here in these faithful four, we learn an important lesson about friendship, true friendship, friendship in action. They weren't friends who offered words or prayers alone. They took action. See, the kind of friend you want to have and the kind of friend you should want to be is the kind that acts when there's a need. Not one who sits idly by, not one who offers their words, not one who will, who will hide your secrets for you while you're suffering in need. When a life is at stake, there's no room for words. There's no room for confidentiality, for pride, for secrets. It's time for action. It's time for help. That's what these men did. It never ceases to amaze me how much the topic of confidentiality and friendship comes up. If you're a true friend, you'll, you'll keep my secrets. No. If you're a true friend, you'll help me get help. If a friend shares with you they're planning to commit suicide, what good does it do to hold their secret for them? Likewise, when, when a friend tells you something that's akin to committing spiritual suicide, what good is it to, to sit idly by? You want to get them help. Take them to get help. Take them to Jesus. That's being a true friend. Dear brother, you're hurting, you're sick, you're flailing spiritually. Well, I'll hide that in my heart. I'll pray for you. No. If it's at all in your power to get that friend help, you do it. That's what these men did. What good would their words or prayers have done when Jesus was nearby? These men didn't think so much of themselves that they offered their own opinions, their own advice. They didn't attempt to offer their encouragement and words and prayers and suggestions. You want to be a faithful friend? Know when to defer to Christ. Well, my suggestion, dear friend, would be to try this and that. You know who you should try visiting? See so-and-so. No, see Jesus. In fact, I'll carry you to him. That's a friend. That's someone who loves you genuinely. That's someone who cares more for your eternal soul than your temporary feelings. A master carpenter once said this. Very astute statement. He said, a friend is someone who tells me the truth about me. I want to know when my work stinks or when I'm being hurtful or stupid. I expect my friends, my true friends, to save me from myself. What a love they had for that friend. What a desire they had to bring him to Jesus. He needed some help getting there, didn't he? He needed a lot of help. He couldn't walk on his own. So these men showed what true friendship is all about. Friendship in action. They certainly cared for his physical well-being, but they cared just as well for his spiritual health. See, a true friend's greatest desire should be for your spiritual well-being. We as people sometimes overlook that. We care for our friend's physical well-being far more than we care for their spiritual health. What if we were to exert as much care and concern over a friend who's spiritually sick, spiritually lost, as we do for a friend that is sick? and maybe suffering physically? What if we put as much care and concern into our family's spiritual health as we do for their success, their schooling, their extracurricular activities? I believe the church would be radically transformed by having people that value souls and spiritual condition above all else. We should care. 
We should care for people's spiritual condition. We should care about how our friends are doing spiritually. My best friends are the ones who care about my relationship with God. Those that check to see how I'm doing spiritually. Those who encourage me to be a better person. I know that their care and concern for me is not temporal, it's eternal. That's the type of friend I want to be. That's the type of friend I want to have. A friend's greatest desire should be for your spiritual well-being. If you want to be a good friend, check in on your friend's spiritual health. Hold them accountable to living a godly life. So that's a lesson in friendship. They put their friendship into action, not just words. They cared for their friend's spiritual health. And what else? They went to the right source, didn't they? By this time in his ministry, Jesus had become well-known. We know this because of the great crowds that gathered to hear him, right? Perhaps the paralytic's friends had heard stories about this man, this great healer, this great teacher. He was doing amazing things, and I'm sure they figured that's the one. That's the one who can help our friend. His friends knew where to take him. He needed to go to Jesus if he had any chance to be made whole. Each and every one of us has a paralysis too. Oh, it may not be a physical one, but a spiritual one. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means we too need to be healed. We need to come to Jesus. Perhaps today you have friends that are outside of Christ. If you do, act like these four faithful ones did. Take them to Jesus. Do you know? Do you know where to take them to? Perhaps you know people who are backslidden and desperate in need of restoration. Perhaps you know people who are hurting, empty, broken, searching for answers. Do you know where to take them? We live in a world filled with hurt. Broken dreams, broken promises, broken relationships, broken lives. People are hurting because nothing around them is making them happy. People are hurting because there is sin in their lives. People are hurting because they've fallen away from God. And we have the answer. We have the answer for how they can be healed. They knew Jesus was the great physician. They heard rumors of a miraculous healings and powerful teaching. They knew where to take their friend, didn't they? Jesus was the only option for this man to be healed. And likewise, still today, Jesus is the only option for true and lasting healing. Amen. It's only through Christ that a person can find salvation, restoration, renewal, refreshment, and revival. He's the only source. Acts 4.12 says this, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The source that saves is the only source that heals. They took their friend to the right source, to Jesus. This world will suggest so many sources to you, you'll be dizzy. Your head will be spinning. When someone has a problem in their lives, everybody has an opinion for how to fix it. But in reality, there's only one person who can do anything about the problem. Science won't fix all your problems. Medicine can't cure all your ills. Money will bring you more problems than solutions. 
Only Christ is the answer. Our faith is in vain if it isn't set on Jesus Christ. Science couldn't prove anything for this man. Money couldn't fix anything for this man. Doctors couldn't do anything for this man. His problem wasn't in his legs. It was in his heart. Only the great physician, the great heart healer, could rescue this man. And it was those four faithful friends who brought him there. I love that. They put their friendship into action and they took him to the right source. What else? They persevered. Despite the many obstacles they faced, these friends let nothing stand in their way. They were undeterred. They were unhindered. I love that word. They were unhindered. Unhindered by what? Unhindered by their pride. During Jesus' time, the disabled and the incapable were looked upon without favor. In fact, they were looked down upon. They were seen as a disgrace to society. By their very association with this paralytic man, his friends would suffer the same disgrace. They didn't care. They weren't embarrassed. They weren't ashamed. They didn't care what people said about them. They didn't care about the whispered judgments of the cowardly masses. They stood for what's right, and they acted in resolute compassion. My God, we, we cut a hole in somebody's roof. What are people going to say? What are people going to do? Who cares? Turn a deaf ear to the criticisms of this world. Amen. I'm going to tell you this. When you're doing what's right in God's eyes, don't give a second thought about the opinions and criticisms of those who are too cowardly to do the same. I'll say that again. When you're doing what's right in God's eyes, don't give a second thought about the opinions and criticisms of those who are too cowardly to do the same. They were undeterred by pride. What else? They were undeterred by the cost of time and effort. Did you ever stop to think how much time and energy these four men must have spent to bring their friend to Jesus? Maybe they had other things to do that day. Maybe they wanted to attend that meeting and, and sit in a cushy front row seat listening to Jesus teach. They had to carry their friend. We don't know how far. We know that they had to carry him. They couldn't get in. They carried him up the stairs. It must have been heavy. It took time. It always does. A lot of times we refuse to do what's right, what we should do, what God has called us to do, because oh, it takes too much time, too much effort, too much energy, too much sacrifice. Always remember, obedience takes sacrifice. Obedience takes effort. It takes energy. It takes our time. It takes energy to get up in the morning and go to church. It takes energy to serve and to put others first. It's not always convenient. It's not always convenient dealing with people. But what are we trying to hold on to? My time is mine. My effort is mine. You're trying to hold on to your time and your energy? Go ahead and try. Try to keep your time to yourself. Say no to serving God. Say no to serving others. And let's see how that time works out for you. Friend, it will slip away like sand through your fingers. 
a great missionary, Jim Elliott, sacrificed his very life carrying the gospel to those who had never heard it before. When we ask him in heaven, was it worth it? He's going to say, absolutely. He said this before he died. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Yes, yeah, sometimes we may be busy. We've got other things going on. We've got a lot going on. But serving Jesus means putting others first. And obedience takes time and effort and energy and sacrifice. These men, these four faithful friends saw it as worthwhile. Anytime we choose to put our energy and our time and our effort into something, we've got to look at, well, what's the possible end result? And is it worth it? For example, I know if I don't complete my to-do list for one day, the result is very bad the next day. Backlog. Things pile up. So the time I spend one day will be worthwhile the next. Bringing people to Jesus takes time and energy. But when we look at the possible outcome, I guarantee you the results are worthwhile. Don't tire when the cause is for Christ. Don't tire when the cause is for his kingdom. Galatians 6.9 reminds us this. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep caring. Keep doing. Write one more note of encouragement. Make one more phone call of concern. Extend another hand of friendship and fellowship. Speak one more kind word. Seek out one more struggling soul. Give your testimony one more time. Invite that friend to church once again. Don't give up. You never know when that one last time will be the time that makes all the difference in a life. We live in a fast-paced society. It's so easy to get overwhelmed with busyness. It's good to be busy. I personally love being busy. I don't like downtime. But the big problem with busyness is a lot of times we miss what's most important. We run the danger of not taking time for others. We take time for work and our chores and what we want to do. But life is about others. Serving Christ means serving his people. The scriptures tell us, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. But we can't do that when we're on the run. You can't microwave relationships. Sometimes you've got to slow down. Slow down and take time for people because that's what it's all about. That's what matters. That's what counts. They were undeterred by their cost of time, effort, energy, sacrifice. What else? They were undeterred by the crowds. Can you picture the look on their faces when they could start to hear Jesus' voice preaching and they knew they were close? They're carrying the mat and this paralytic man, their friend on it. Their arms are burning. They're tired. They're sweating. It's hot. And they hear Jesus' voice in the distance. They start to pick up steam. They're encouraged. We're close. They start moving a bit faster. They turn the corner and bam! 
they run into Occupy Capernaum. A wall of people, and they're not willing to budge. No one wants to give up their seat. Jesus is preaching. I'm not getting up. I'm not giving up my seat. Resistance. Resistance to their efforts. How did they deal with it? Cower. Turn around. Go home. Hey, good effort, guys. High fives all around. We tried. No. No. Plan B. They pressed forward. Plan C. Plan D. I'm convinced if the roof was made of metal that day, they would have found a way to burrow up through the flooring. Nothing was going to stop these four faithful men that day. Not pride, not fear, not time, not effort, not the crowds, nor that roof. Take a cue from them. When you're doing God's will, don't let anything stop you. In athletic terms, what do we say? Dean, they left it all on the court, on the field. They left it all on the roof that day. And can you imagine how they felt when they finally got their friend to Jesus? Tired, exhausted, weary, job well done. Christ will take it from here. They put their care into action. They went to the right source and they didn't let anything get in their way. Great lessons about true friendship from four faithful friends. Second, what can we learn from that paralytic man? Well, he didn't play a big role in the story, you say. Let's just hang on for the ride. No. His role was even tougher than that of his chauffeurs. See, he had to swallow his pride. Not just to let his friends carry him, but, but to admit that he needed healing. It's so hard to do. Would have been much easier for him to keep his guard up, and we do this. I like who I am, and I'm fine with my situation. I don't need help. I don't need healing. I don't need anyone. It takes humility to say, I need help. Are you there yet? Are you ready to admit that something's wrong and you can't fix it? Are you ready to move past all the whys? We get so stuck in the whys of where we're at. The reason why this happened is because of whatever. My past, my parents, my siblings, my upbringing, my relationships, my insecurities, my friends, my enemies, my job, my co-workers, my wife, my marriage, my children. You done blaming yet? You could go on forever finger pointing. The reality is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why you got here or who got you here or how you got here. The point is you're here. How do we fix it? God, I'm broken. It takes humility to say that. God, I'm broken and I need your help. Can you fix me? I've tried the blame game. I've tried anger. I've tried bitterness. I've tried ignoring my situation. I've tried self-help. I've tried positive thinking. I've tried church. I've tried serving. I've tried helping others. I've tried everything in my power until I see that my power is worthless. Lord, I need your power. I need you. I throw myself at your feet and at your mercy. I want to be whole, Lord. 
I want to be restored. I want to be the person you want me to be. Heal me. Heal me, Lord. It's a heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching, end-of-your-rope cry out to Jesus. And it's where healing begins. No one can truly heal but Christ. But look, he can only heal those who want to be healed, who are willing to come to him, throw open their arms and say, I'm at the end of my rope, heal me, Lord. Yeah, we can learn a lot from that paralytic man who realized no one else but Jesus could fix him. And finally, what can we learn from Christ, the great physician? Look at his response. Here the friends deliver the paralytic man to him. Everyone is bracing, waiting for another thrilling miracle, a healing. They're hanging on every word, Jesus says. And Jesus was so moved by their faith, he knew what they went through to get there. He turns his attention away from the crowds. He stops, perhaps mid-sentence, and he turns to the paralytic man. People are waiting with bated breath to see Jesus touch this man's legs. They're trying not to blink as they look at his legs to see if there's a twitch, if he's going to start moving. And what does Jesus say? What are his first words to this paralytic? Verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven. What, what did he say? <laughs> I can see the, the, the congregation, they're turning to each other. Sins? What, what did he say? See, everybody thought they knew how this man was going to be healed. But Jesus saw what he really needed. He saw the real problem. It wasn't that this man couldn't walk. It wasn't that his legs and arms didn't work. It was that his soul was lost. His heart was sick with sin. See, Jesus addresses our greatest need before anything else. He knows your greatest need when you come before him with all your wants. Lord, nothing's working in my life. Fix my job. Lord, fix my marriage. Fix my finances, Lord. Fix my relationships. I want this. I want to be this. I want to be more comfortable. I want to love my job. Before any of that, Christ looks at your heart. See, are we asking for the wrong thing? Are we asking Christ to heal our side effects when he wants to heal the root cause? There's always a disease underlying the symptoms of our life. If your heart isn't right, if there's sin in your life, nothing else will be fixed until that is healed first. Jesus knew what this man really needed. The paralytic and everyone around him thought they knew what kind of healing he needed. They didn't. Jesus knew. He knew his heart. He knows your heart. He forgave his sins. He can forgive yours. He washed him clean. And then, for all the naysayers, for all the critics, for all the judges in the room, he continued on and he healed the man's paralysis. And he walked again. When Christ touches your life, when he removes the sin in your heart, everything else will follow suit. 
Everything else that's broken in your life will eventually be mended. It will be healed. It will be restored. Jesus reminds us that spiritual health matters far more than our physical health. We're just passing through. Our bodies are dying with every breath we take. We're one step closer to the grave with every passing minute. But our soul, that's the key, our soul is eternal. Make sure you get help for your soul before anything else in life. It is the most important thing we can do in our lifetime. Four faithful friends, one willing paralytic and two healing hands. They teach us a lot, don't they? And if we look back and ask ourselves, and what was the great miracle that took place that day? We get so caught up with the physical, we're quick to say, well, Jesus made a paralytic man walk. Great miracle. Not the greatest miracle that day. The greatest miracle was that Jesus forgave the man's sins. That's the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle from this story. Christ was and is still in the business of forgiving sins. Of restoring. Restoring our relationship to God. If you've never come to Him before, if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, if there's sin standing in the way of your relationship with God, don't wait another minute. Can you imagine how foolish that paralytic man would have been had he refused Christ? Sins? No thanks. No thanks. I'm just looking to walk. I don't need my sins forgiven. Christ stands before you today with the answer to make your life whole, to give you the hope and contentment and fulfillment that has always eluded you, to give you a place in heaven for all eternity. Don't be foolish. Take it. He stands before you today. Take Him as your Savior and begin to really live. And once you are saved, you're saved forever. Your standing in Christ can never be taken away. Nothing and no one can ever change that. For those here who have been redeemed by Christ, who stand as sanctified in Him, guess what? We can still find that we've messed up again. You've let sin once again invade your heart, and you're facing the repercussions of that. You find your life coming apart at the seams. How can God do this to me? Friend, God didn't do this to you. You did this to yourself. You think you need help emotionally, financially, physically, whatever. Stop looking at the symptoms. Look at the root cause. Focus on the root. You need help spiritually. You need help in your heart. You need healing. You want your circumstances fixed? Fix your heart first. Let Christ fix your heart first. Fix your relationship with Him. Look at the source of the problem and then go to the source of healing. Stop going to other sources. Stop looking for other cures. They don't work. That's not going to fix the root problem of me. I have good news for you today. Christ still stands as He did in that room in Capernaum with open arms extended to you, reaching out for you, those healing hands 
stand before you, open, ready to forgive again and to restore you to the life he wants you to have. Don't let anything stand in the way. Remember what those men went through. Remember that paralytic man who swallowed his pride and threw up his, his heart and said, I need help. Don't let anything stand in your way. Not pride, not fear, not any thought, not any person, not any obstacle. Come to the healer and let him fix what only he can. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in brokenness today. Our healer, our Jehovah Rapha, only you can take what's wrong and make it right in our lives, in us. We come before you in need of healing, not of our circumstances, not, not of our problems, our failures, of us, Lord. Heal our hearts. Forgive our sins. Touch us. Restore us. Make us whole again, Father. Fix our thinking. Alter our perspective and our attitudes. Make us the Christians you want us to be, Lord. Thank you for those healing hands of grace and mercy that always, always stay open and extended out to us. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you for loving us so much that you won't leave us in our sin. Thank you for the circumstances of life you send our way to nudge us, to shake us, to wake us, to remind us that we need your forgiveness, your touch, your healing. And thank you for your healing that restores us when nothing else can. We love you. We thank you. And with all our gratitude, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.